Um, hello, good afternoon, good evening. Uh, welcome to the Dorfman Theatre. Sorry about the mess. My name is Dan Rebellato and I'm sitting on the set of uh, the, a new play entitled Beginning and I'm delighted to be talking today to the play's author, David Eldridge, and its director, Polly Findlay. Before we start, can I just ask who hasn't seen the play yet? Oh, oh. right, that's so, most of you. So we're going to try and be as non-spoilery as possible. It's actually quite difficult with this play, but we, we will try and not give too much away. Um, so David, um, can I go back to the beginning of beginning yeah. and just ask you where this play came from? I mean, it, it, it came from um, something that happened to one of my mates, basically. Um, a sort of, uh, sort of funny story that he told about... Um, well, it wasn't funny to him, but it was funny to us, his mates who were listening to it, uh, at something that had happened to him um, after, after a house party in a sort of similar sort of uh, situation. And then um, he kind of, um, you know, he's sort of a, a, a guy who, uh, who sort of, you know, a kind of, a, a, you know, a girl could kind of walk towards him and at the moment she was about a yard away, he'd sort of go over there to get something, you know, to, to, to eat from over there. So, so there was that, and then that, but that was really, really a long time ago. But then um, I think maybe a bit, probably about 12 years ago now, about 10 years before I wrote the play, um, I'd, I, I remember sort of a, a friend of my ex-wife sort of came to stay with us and um, he was single at the time and, and um, when he was drunk sort of at the end of the night we had this really awkward and embarrassing conversation about the fact that he was single and he wasn't, um, wasn't sleeping with anyone and he, he used all this quite sort of tortured euphemistic language and um, <laughs> some of which has found its way into the play. Um, <laughs> So, and, and then I think it was sort of around then, 2005, I sort of remembered this other story. I just sort of thought this would be a great idea for a play. Um, I, just, I, I just sort of daydreamed about it a lot on and off over the years, but never had the right opportunity to write it. And then a couple of years ago, I, did, I just did. I had a space yeah. and I just wrote it. So. Uh, what do you think, what is the reason you think it, it took 10, 15 years to actually, for the, for the play to crystallise in your head? Or was it just simply the opportunity? Well, I think, I think um, it is something I've been thinking about quite a lot in the last few weeks. I mean, I think that when I've been talking to everyone here and when we were talking in rehearsals and stuff like that, I think I kind of focused quite a lot on the fact that I just had an opportunity, that I was meant to be working on this TV show and it didn't work out for one reason or another. I kind of, you know, got paid for that gig anyway, but had a gap, and I just sort of decided I was going to have a go at this thing. Mm. But, but I think you're kind of right to ask that question. I think that probably, um, you know, again, sort of being slightly kind of wary of spoiling the play for, for our audience here tonight. I think that, you know, they're, they're for, a, for two young single people in their mid-twenties, there's probably just a lot less at stake than for the characters and the, they are, the age they are now. And I think that, um, you know, I think that that's a thing. I also think that, you know, while the play isn't autobiographical in any sense at all, there are bits of me in the play. 
but it's not, you know, my life is very, very different. I think that, you know, actually through all my mid, mid to late 20s and 30s, I was always, <coughs> you know, either with someone and then married. And actually, you know, I had a couple of years where I was sort of single and sometimes that was fun and sometimes it was really hard and lonely. So I think that kind of probably the mixture of an opportunity plus just life happening to me and getting a bit older meant that um, I could sort of suddenly do this thing that I'd always wanted to do. Um, Polly, can I ask you about when you first read the play? Um, what was your kind of first instinctive reaction to it, and what made you want to direct it? Well, I mean, I think that um, one of the things that I've always been most drawn to in David's writing is his kind of incredible ability to suggest the kind of iceberg of emotion mm. um, underneath a line that somebody may in fact be struggling to articulate in precisely the way that it felt like it did when they were coining it in their head. So there's a, there's a sort of fantastic tension, and it's brilliantly done in this play, I think, between people who, in trying to articulate a thing, inadvertently give us a glimpse of the thing that they were trying to cover up, which right. is the kind of, uh, in this case, um, in, in, in the case of both these characters, I think, a sort of vast, uh, loneliness and um, so there was a sort of inherent the tension that was in inherent in in the dynamic that David had created I think was something that felt to me that it had great dramatic potential and I suppose the other thing is is that um, I think one of the things that you look for in, in reading a new play is um, where the scene stops and I think that very often you read plays where you see that the scene stops at the point where you feel like it should begin yeah. And uh, in this particular case, David has done this incredible thing of just writing one long scene with no stops. Yeah. So it is continually kind of pushing the envelope in terms of how much those two characters can stand um, <laughs> uh, uh, in terms of being in that room together. And also, I, I think, in terms of how much we can really stand in watching them push through that moment. Yeah. So in some ways... Um, it, it felt like a kind of exercise in the thing that I feel most drawn to in a new play, and that felt like an irresistible, um, irresistible challenge, really. Can I uh, pick up on that word challenge? Uh, because, as you say, this is a, it's a one-scene, real-time, single-room play. What are the challenges of making a play like that work as a director? Well, I mean, I think you have none of your usual tricks available. I mean, you know, without giving too much away, you can sort of usually, if it gets boring, you know, put on a lot of loud music and do a scene change or, you know, you, there's, a sort of like a, there's a sort of, um, or there's a kind of natural momentum in terms of a new character turns up. So you're able yeah. to kind of inject the stage with a kind of fresh energy. Um, and in, in this particular play, the only um, asset at your disposal is the kind of continual mining of these characters' intentions and thoughts and wishes and needs. Mm. So um, it forced us to, in a, in a really delightful way, um, but certainly in a challenging way, to keep kind of going deeper into, I guess, the needs of those two individuals. Um, so 
I think that that did mean that we were having to kind of be braver and more forensic and and in some ways less compromising. It sort of allowed us to cheat less in right. some ways than, uh, than you might be able to get away with in a different kind of drama. And David, can I ask you the same sort of question, but from the writer's perspective? Yeah. Writing a play that is one continuous action over an hour 40 or whatever it is, um, what are the difficulties for a writer? What kind of things do you have to really bring to the writing to... to Pull that off. Well, I think I think that I think in this play, it's, you've 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 got to sort of keep it al- alive, moment by moment. Mm. I mean, which I think you have to do anyway in playwriting. You know, I think I, I worked with the actor Ian McDermott once, and he sort of said, "Well, you know, in playwriting, it all has to go at the speed of an actor's thought." Mm. You know, and I think and I think that I've always liked the thing that I saw once said, said about the fashion designer John Galliano that the reason he was so good was that he designed for a body in motion and I think that's another thing that a playwright tries to do and so, so there are those things that are kind of extra important um, in a piece like this I kind of knew I knew that I had but I kind of I sort of knew that um, I, I knew I, I had sort of some really good bits of story in my back pocket. Uh, you almost kind of know that you've got what what your hand is, and you're thinking about when you're going to play those right. cards in the play as an analogy. <coughs> and you kind of those moments become like I'm sort of mixing my metaphors terribly here, but they're almost like kind of tent poles, right. you know, across the across the evening. So so that's sort of really good. But I just always had a had a had a um, trust in what happens when you put two characters on stage in a inadverted commas romantic situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a think of thing of Max Stafford Clark's actually the director Max Stafford Clark. He says as an audience, you're always wondering in that situation what's going to happen next. Mm-hmm. And there's an argument for saying that actually that the whole gesture of the play is an act of faith based upon that mm-hmm. idea. I think it's a correct idea, actually. Um, and you kind of know that that's the situation from the first minute of the play, don't you? I don't think it's a spoiler to say that. that <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, I think that's right. But we had to keep... One of the challenges of when yeah. we found in the rehearsal room and, 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 and was that we had to kind of keep forgetting that we knew that there were another 90 pages to go. So we kept having to try and yeah, find yeah. the moment where the scene could end so that there kept being genuine jeopardy as right. to whether or not uh, uh, Danny is going to walk out of the door or, yeah. um, you know, so that, that was yeah, yeah. sort of identifying the, the points of possible end. Yeah. Weirdly, like yeah. trying to do, I always think of it as like, you know how on your phone you can either look at directions when you do it on your iPhone and Google Maps, you can either look at the map like this so that you can see the whole thing at once yeah. or you can kind of change the view so you kind of go into street view so you sort of see it like that. And the, and the challenge was to kind of keep losing this version of the play and not think too much about where your final destination was and mm-hmm. to try and stay in street view for as long as possible because of course that's the experience of the audience. Mm-hmm. Of course. Uh, and David, I think you've, you've said that it was, this play was always going to be in that form because, of course, one could write a version of this play in which there's, a, there's a, an act where you see them in their offices and you see her preparations for the party and, and then you see the aftermath or any number of different combinations. But what is it about this, this intimate, slightly claustrophobic version of this story that felt right for the way you wanted to tell it? 
I just think it's because it's it's because of the simplicity of it. Right. It's a it's kind of in a way. Um, it felt like it it could be quite a pure gesture actually mm. in the theatre. Do you know what I mean? It's just it's very sort of simple, and I liked the idea of doing something that was that had a kind of real simplicity at the heart of, you know, I mean, really, are they going to kiss at some point or aren't they? I mean, in a way, that's the gesture yeah. of the play. So there's that. I think I think in more in the kind of lo- more the last few years as that kind of as things wheeled round to actually getting the opportunity to write it and being, I suppose, in the right place to write it. There's a kind of a feeling as well that that you know that so much of what's been brilliant and exciting about our theatre culture in the last decade is um, how much more European we've become. Also, you know, the standard of directing has improved by about a million times in the last decade. Certainly, from in comparison to my early years working in the theatre. Um, but we sort of have kind of, I think, sometimes become more turned on by a kind of a fl- flashier kind of aesthetic. Mm-hmm. And I really just wanted to do something that was, um, that's kind of all about really the actors more than anything else and then the writing and that's that's not to diminish anything Polly's done because Polly's directed this play absolutely brilliantly but this play requires decisions about whether to pick up a wine glass or not at a certain moment not whether you fly in a helicopter you know what I mean it's it's a different kind of directing and that 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 felt like actually to do a deeply naturalistic felt play felt like in its own way a kind of a a kind of a radical thing to do at the moment but I think that's really bang on I mean there's because in a way I mean I think that when you talk about naturalism in the theatre I don't know whether you have this impression but I think that actually what we're generally talking about is a kind of when you think of what naturalism means in the theatre I think what you mostly imagine is actually a set of behaviours that only really exist on a stage Um, so there's which are to do with you know having the sofa in the right place in the middle of the state which is not really how you would necessarily design (laughs) but one of the things that felt really um, exciting about this was actually the idea of as you say like mining the stakes of those tiny little tiny little things which actually feel like the stakes that you are operating with under in your own life so um, although the play isn't about um, a kind of battle or a big political decision or a kind of terrorist threat or anything, yeah. at the same time, those people are nevertheless operating at what is for them absolutely 10 out of 10 in yeah. terms of the stakes. And so once you really start going into that, then I think actually the kind of behaviour that you start producing on stage, when I'm really noticing where, what, whether you've picked that up and moved it in, what are the politics of that? And if I do that, actually, yeah. do you think, what, what are you watching then? Mm. Actually, what you end up producing is something um, that feels kind of in, like much more intense, I think, mm. than what you would naturally think of as naturalism. I think that actually that becomes an incredibly mm. theatrical m- mode. I, I can ask what kind of preparation or research, I don't know, reflection you do as a director for a play like this, which it seems to me it requires a, a, a sort of selfless direction that you're trying to direct it in a way it doesn't even look like it's been directed, do you know what I mean? Uh, so I wonder kind of what, what kind of different sort of work do you do to prepare for directing a play like this? 
Well, I mean, I think in a way, the business of preparing to direct a play, at least as far as I'm concerned, is, is always about trying to um, understand the gesture of the writer. Like, what, it is, what is it that that writer was trying to create in that room? Um, and I think that that applies actually whether you're doing a Ben Johnson play or a David Eldridge play. And of course, those gestures will be very different, but it's your job to try and identify what the, what the need to write it was. Like what, 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 what was that writer trying to do to the weather in that room? So um, to an extent, I think you've got the same hat on in a funny kind of way going into the preparation process. But of course, um, with a play like this, it, it happens in a context that we're all very familiar with. Um, we're talking about Jeremy Corbyn and yeah. not the kind of obscure political climate of the 1580s. You know, so that, so that there's, there's a kind of tangibility to it, um, which, which, which kind of, I think, gives you a smell of the world much quicker. But um, most of my work in preparing this was, in, well, in two things, really. The, the first was... In, in trying to have a very precise sense in advance of what the transactions were underneath the surface of the play between the actors. So to ask um, in a very disciplined way, what is the scene underneath the scene and when does that scene change? So what's the kind of layer of what's going on under the skin of this text? Um, and then the other thing was just in terms of thinking about the design, which I, I think comes back to what we were saying about what, what is naturalism in the theatre, and that what we were interested in was trying to create a, a set that felt and operated like a room that mm. um, we could all recognise, but that also provided a kind of theatrical muscle for the thing. So um, crudely, I was interested in like, what's the obstacle, what's the literal physical obstacle course that these two individuals have to negotiate to get to one another so I think that designing a naturalistic set isn't just designing a set that is like a room that you know mm. but uh, but is one that will enable you to physically map out mm. the, um, the, the the tensions and the dynamics between the people that are then going to have to inhabit that set so I think it's a playground yeah. in the same way that a much more extravagant <coughs> set might feel much more explicitly like a playground. Mm. And, and David can I ask about the characters and how <coughs> they emerged for you, did you, again it's a, a question about preparation, did you sort of have them very clear in your mind before you started? Did you know what their histories, their backgrounds were or was it more exploratory and you discovered them in the writing? Um, it, was a, it was a mixture, I didn't do a massive amount of sort of preparation, I sort of thought about their families, like who their families mm. were a bit. Um, but it was, it was one of the things about writing this play that was different from anything else I've done is that, is that I sort of um, I wrote it sort of um, as part of, sort of part of my thinking about the naturalism of it actually was that I wrote it as if the, the party was sort of set at the time that I was writing. So everything else I'd ever written, even if it was a contemporary play, was actually slightly a period play. But actually, I began writing the play in sort of, <coughs> I wrote the play in like late October, uh, early November 2015. And that was when, um, you know, Aliona was one of the dancers on Strictly. And, you know, Jeremy Corbyn had surprisingly been elected leader of the L Labour Party to many people. And, you know, uh, there was no concept that... Um, you know, 
Brexit might happen or anything like that. There's a kind of different. So, so I was trying to write, just trying to be in the moment a bit with the play in terms of the world that was, uh, you know, that, that that was that I was in and that the characters um, were in. You know, and it's sort of it was good. You know, I mean, I, me and my partner sort of live. Um, in in Haringey in N8 with an N8 postcode, but not in Crouch End. But sometimes go over to Crouch End, and um, I was thinking about this the other day. Sort of, I sort of can remember when I was sort of about halfway through the place, sort of being in Crouch End, just getting some shopping, and sort of sort of wondering about Laura, um, which is sort of strange thing to to do to sort of wonder about a fictional character that you're making up at the time, but. You know, I suppose it had become quite real for me. So, right. I mean, I suppose one of the things I found so interesting about the play and the production is is actually the kind of class position of the characters. Is it's uncertain, but there's a there's clearly a sort of a movement for both of them in a sense, or a, a slight uncertainty in their relationship to traditional class, which I feel like I've never actually seen on stage before, even though you see it around in society and your friends a lot. And how, how much was that something you had to discover in, in rehearsal? What, what do you think produced that for you, watching it? I'm asking the questions. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm just, I was so fascinated that you said it. No, well, I think, I think it's, it's interesting. So his character kind of, he, he kind of makes out he's more working class than he probably has become. Um, and, uh, and there's a quite a complicated negotiation about that in there. Yeah. Uh, and I thought that, and I find that very interesting about what's at stake for him in that identification, and what what he's not accepting about his own life. That's so interesting. Mm. I'm really glad that you had that experience. That's great. I mean, I suppose one of the things, isn't it? I well, this is such a this is a massive, massive conversation. But I think that both of them, in in their own different ways, are uh, as we all do in life all the time, acting a bit. So um, I guess this is w w coming back to the question that we kept asking ourselves about what is what is the, the kind of baseline transaction under this social performance. Mm. And even as the social performance gets closer to the bone, there's still a gap between what that is and what the baseline transaction is. And I think that their respective attitudes to their kind of class or social position it, and the way that they choose to inhabit those positions is part of what comes under the role-playing um, mm aspect of the way that we all speak to each other and I think that's one of the ways one of the ways in which um, class certainly functions in this country is that among other things it, uh, it it provides a set of tropes that you can inhabit in a way that allows you to feel safe mm. um, and I think that that's one of the things that David has done brilliantly here is to is to kind of prize open the gap between th the people that they are at the bottom of all these layers of um, uh, pretense window dressing yeah. <laughs> and uh, and and to have found uh, um, the the point of connection that exists underneath all those layers of social things yeah. that they've built up i mean i i mean in from my perspective i mean i'm just essentially writing my own generation yeah. you know because i'm the same i mean 
mean, that's the thing in keeping with the kind of really trying to write their present tense and my present tense at the time. But and my generation is the generation that at the end of the John Major years and then the beginning and then through the Labour years sees a massive expansion in higher education and the universities, the polytechnics become universities. You know, hundreds of thousands more people go to university. And, and I think that going to university and getting a degree is, is maybe one of the things that shifts people out of one kind of class bracket into another or at least blurs the boundaries or makes it harder to to define you know and I you know and it I think it's lovely that you say that I think that it's one of the things that I saw at university I knew a guy who used to go around telling you know girls that he was from the east end um, and I was like you're from Brentwood in Essex you're not from the east end and I know that part of the world and they're really different things actually um, but it's also a time when you've got kind of you know Jamie Oliver sort of getting on his moped and burnishing his accent yeah. I mean I think he's quite posh actually isn't he Jamie Oliver yeah, yeah. It, um, so it kind of is nice to write those things that are just in me as part of the world that I've grown up in it, it, that's really interesting because one thing I was I was going to ask you is actually whether that sort of 15-year gap between the idea of the play and writing the play, whether the play has is necessarily a different sort of play because of that of, of, of things that have changed either either in you or in the world. But actually, what what it's making me think is one of the things I find very moving in the play is the way that I think we're seeing the gap between where they thought the world would be when they were kids or teenagers and how they've ended up now in their late four, late 30s or 40-ish, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and it seems to me that that's where this play that could seem like a kind of comedy of awkward manners, actually, actually you begin to think, actually, there's a sort of sense of a whole social world in it. I think that's totally true. And I think, I think that... So another thing that's it just in my life that speaks to that is I can remember as a 13-year-old in a geography lesson being told by the teacher that in the future there would, that we wouldn't have jobs, there would be all this time for leisure. I mean, that, that's not happened, has it? <laughs> you know, I am part of a generation that saw, you know, the, the Berlin Wall fall and people were beginning to say that there's, a, there's an end to history. Right. Well, that was wrong as well wasn't it you know uh you know we can't afford the houses that we imagined that we might live in one day yeah. and all all of that and i think that probably is in the play I mean, what do you think polly well i mean i think that i mean it, i mean for me it comes back to the kind of eldridge iceberg again in that like i mean the thing that you've just said about you know feeling that the world isn't in your 40s, what you thought it was going to be in your 20s is also the condition of humanity, isn't it? <laughs> um, David has found a really fantastic contemporary way of capturing that and of making you feel that in a completely um, contemporary, tangible cool. fashion. And I think that that's your, what you're putting your finger on there is part of the reason why it's a great play. 
Um, I've got one more question to ask, and then um, I'll hand it over to you. Um, I think it's probably a question for you, really, which is, I, I, I said that uh, it could, at times it could feel like a kind of comedy. Um, and I think certainly to, at the beginning of beginning, there's a real sense in which we're enjoying that painful comedy of awkwardness um, in a way that, and I mean this in a very, very good way, there are parts of it that you've, you kind of think would be, wouldn't be totally at home in a really great sitcom. And then there's a point in the play where I think you suddenly realise, almost without noticing it, you're emotionally really in deep, and this is a, this is a much more profoundly painful negotiation that's going on. Can I ask you about how you find that shape in rehearsal yes of course i mean that that um the the shape of it the rhythm of it i think in a way is always the last thing to arrive mm. and it i think directing anything is always a process of discovering that rhythm really or at least that's what it feels like rather than feeling that you're kind of Im imposing it so but you're the the it i suppose what you're articulating there is something that we were struggling with quite a lot at the beginning, which is um, it comes back to this thing of kind of getting rid of your tricks in that my instinct in some ways was screaming out, pick up your cue, pick up your cue. <laughs> you, know, right. um, you need to be upstage at this moment because it's a big moment. And can you possibly find a reason to pick up that glass of water so then you can turn and be downstage to say the big plot line there? Right which is kind of very much how you tend to, generally speaking, operate, so that the, the job of directing often feels like kind of finding covert strategies for manipulating people in a way um, that <laughs> isn't really naturalistic at all, to look as if it was effortless, so that they're facing the right way for the right thing. Um, that sounds deeply depressing, doesn't it? But I do feel like that's, <laughs> that's what you spend quite a lot of your time <coughs> doing. And with this one, we had to be really disciplined with ourselves about saying all the time, be in a room, don't be in a play, don't be in a play, be in a room. Um, so uh, Sam, who plays Danny, spends a lot of the first moment deliberately standing there facing upstage yeah. because if this was a room and this wasn't here yeah. that's how you would behave okay. um, and that felt like it was kind of setting out our stall in a way as to um, what kind of rules we were going to follow as we were going to go through so th they were not allowed to speak until they had had the time to coin that thought right. choose whether or not it was the right thing decide it wasn't select another one say that regret it you know so that you were really <laughs> finding the architecture of um, what the yeah what the tension would be in 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 the room not not trying to kind of serve it up in any right. way that's wonderful thank you very much I'm, af I'm afraid we're out of time I know there are other questions in the room but can I ask you to join me in thanking uh, Polly Fenton <laughs> 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 <laughs>